When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is a Canadian company, and they're the company that you want to use for your domain. If you have a great idea and you need a domain, if you already have a domain and you'd rather have it registered with a good company that makes this easy and quick, then use Hover.com and use the offer code CanadaLand at checkout. You'll get 10% off. Hoden Nalaya? Yes. Founder of Integration TV, what's that? It's the first Somali English television for Somalis around the world, including Canada. Uh, we're going to talk today about this really tragic story that is unfolding in the Toronto Star. We are going to talk about this Vice documentary, This is Dixon. And we're going to talk about the Chinese foreign minister's comments when he was here in Canada. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Jacob Glick, Karen, David, Kathleen Olmsted, Matthew McLeod, Joey Taylor, Victor Martins, and Chris Montpetit. Chris, why did you decide to be awesome? Well, because I'm pretty awesome. But the service you provide to our country by providing objective reporting on our media, that's actually awesome. This episode is also brought to you by Hover.com. 
Hover is based here in Canada, and they have done a much better job at providing people with domains than the other companies who are just constantly upselling you, who have kind of offensive advertising, frankly, but whose services are a pain in the ass to use. Hover's is not. It's easy to use. It's fluid. And it's fun to use, especially if they can interest you in domains like .pizza, .ninja, and .horse. If you already have a website and you have it registered to one of those other companies and they are flooding you with spam and trying to sell you services that you don't need, just move it. Move it to hover.com and you will see why we used them before they were a sponsor for this show. And when you do register a new domain or move your domain to Hover, or when you do sign up to have your domain's email handled through Hover, use the promo code CANADALAND when you pay for that because you will get 10% off. Hover.com, promo code CANADALAND, go do it. And this episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, another Canadian company, also a service that I used. I paid them before they paid me, before FreshBooks ever sponsored CANADALAND. I used FreshBooks for my invoicing. And I'm doing a lot of traveling these days, and I am very grateful for FreshBooks mobile app when I am on the road because I can send invoices from wherever I am. I can see if they have been read. I can get paid while I'm on the road. I can take little pictures of my receipts, my expenses as I incur them and throw the receipt away. It's very helpful. It's very useful. I stay connected to my business and I save time. Use freshbooks.com for your invoicing. The benefits just keep accruing. When tax time comes, you'll be very glad that you're with FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com. Check it out. Play around with it. It's kind of fun to use. Try it out for free for 30 days. When you become a customer, tell them who sent you. You'll be doing Canada Land a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day to day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction, and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Hoden, usually on the show, it's sort of a chat about what's in the news. I think that today I'm going to bring you in and have that chat about a couple of stories in a minute. But the first thing I have to do is just talk about a story that is still unfolding. And I don't think it's quite at a place where we're going to get into a big discussion about the coverage because just covering it at all has been sort of torturing those of us in the media. And that's secondary to the tragedy of what actually unfolded, which is that um, this longtime reporter for the Toronto Star, Ravina Alak, took her own life on May 27th. And... It involves a very complicated story of dynamics around the newsroom and complicated relationships. We've been so close to publishing something on this a couple of times um, this week and last. And I know that CBC, Globe and Mail, National Post, everybody has been looking into this because it ultimately ended in uh, a very senior editor leaving the Toronto Star and um, uh, the managing editor of the Toronto Star uh, basically losing her job. So it has crossed over into a place where if, if you cover the media, you got to talk about the story. But the reason why this has been such a difficult one is because Ravina Alak requested, it's been reported in her suicide note, that she did not want any story. She did not want the Toronto Star to publish an obituary. She didn't want anybody to talk about this. And those wishes, we have been torn as to whether or not to respect them and then are why we're here to represent the public's interest to know about what's happening in the media. And I'm not going to say that we did the right thing or the wrong thing. A lot of people have been saying, well, what's Canada Land here for if not to report on a story like this? We didn't know that it was the right thing to do and we didn't run, we didn't go first. And... The star didn't go first for that reason because she asked them not to, and I can certainly understand why they respected her wishes. Uh, but what that did and why we're talking about it now and why we're going against her wishes by talking about it now, as everybody is, is that it, it has been reported. It's all come out, and I, I, I knew it would. And I think this is something that the Toronto Star has to take some level of responsibility for. Today, Kathy English writes, the public editor of the Toronto Star, that the reason why the Toronto Star is finally talking about this is that a private tragedy became a public spectacle. It was uh, broken in Frank magazine. Aside from the salacious, juicy, gossipy tone that Frank presented it in, they left out that Ravina asked that nobody speak about this. And they suggested that the star was sort of involved in a cover-up, that they were circling their wagons. And I think they must have omitted that. I don't know how they could have reported it to the extent that they did and not know that she requested that nobody talk about it. And I'm not going to say that they were wrong to do so, I'm not going to take a position on that because now we're all doing that. But I think it's kind of rich for the star to be saying, well, others have made this a public spectacle because the star had to know that this was going to come out. Almost immediately after Ravina took her life, her colleagues and friends were mourning her on social media. And I think it's, that's what people do when they're mourning. They talk with each other. Will we ever know the contents of the suicide note? I don't know. Um, I think because that's, the answers may lay in there what's exactly happened that she had to leave that note at work. Yeah, and this is what we have been looking into is the role that work played in this. If this is about, and this is what's been reported, that Ravina was involved in a personal relationship with John Filson, who is the editor of the uh, Star Touch tablet, who was fired. Oh, he was fired, yes. Yeah, okay. and, and he was married at the time. 
and uh, that this relationship began. And then since uh, it was reported, Kathy English, that uh, reported on emails where Ravina believed that Filson was then involved in a relationship with Jane Davenport, the managing editor of the Toronto Star, who, full disclosure, I worked with when I briefly worked on a story with the Toronto Star. And, you know, there are marriages involved in this, in reporting this. There are all kinds of, like, you know, civilians whose lives are going to be affected by the reporting of this. Well, if somebody was fired, my only thought is that what happened at work that was so wrong that he got fired for, right? Because, you know, with the workplace, we spend so many hours at work. Yeah. And imagine how much stress of our lives happens in the offices that people don't talk about. This is it. And I think that there's sort of this uh, warring impulse between talking about it, getting it out there, and then talking about were any rules broken? I mean, when it comes to like, Ravina did not directly work for John Filson. John Filson did directly work for uh, Jane Davenport. And what is the larger context of the culture at the star beyond breaking the rules. And there are rules about who you're allowed to have a relationship and and not. But at the end of the day, we forget people are still human. You know, like people have feelings, emotions. And and I think what happens is that when people get into an environment of a, a newsroom, people forget we're all human. You know, and how much mental health is so important in the workplace, because these are the days where we're spending so much of our lives at work. Yeah, I think you really uh, hit the nail on the head talking about the, the mental health aspect of this. And also, I mean, everybody's sort of learning about Ravina for the first time outside of her community. And like, you know, everyone just says she's like a wonderful person, a very private person. So this is, you know, my thoughts, of course, are for everybody affected by this, everybody mourning this. My inclination is always that silence creates an atmosphere where it's easy for the story to be handled the wrong way or for mis- or for misinformation to get out. Even the star's own accounting of this is internally conflicted. Kathy English, in her note, writes that the star took action relatively quickly and that Jane Davenport lost her newsroom job. That's not what Michael Cook wrote in his memo when he said that she, Jane Davenport, made the decision to leave her current newsroom job. It's pretty obvious that she was pushed and didn't jump. But I think that just being straightforward and honest about this can avoid a lot of these crossed wires and and, uh, conflicting reports. Everyone was waiting for somebody else to go first. So Sean Craig of the National Post, who used to work here at Canada Land, they waited. The union went first. The union said, well, we're we're urging an, an investigation into this, into the workplace conditions. We here at Canada Land, we've been looking into the greater context. We're going to continue to look into it. If this is crossed from a triangle of personal relationships, which we don't think are any of our business, to something that has something, says something about the institution itself or the media itself, we're going to get there. And we decided that it wasn't so important to be first. But... You know, uh, the star should have took ownership of this and stepped up and been like, you know what, we are going to investigate. We're going to get on this. Don't hide it. This is a human's life that somebody leaving a note in the workplace sends a big message. Yeah. These are early hours for the story. Exactly who bears responsibility and who, who could have done what when. We're going to report what we feel we need to report when we know what, what we have. is Absolutely. Let's prevent more things like this from happening. We are continuing to look into the workplace situation at the Toronto Star. And our editor, Jane Litvinenko, can be reached at editor at canadalandshow.com. Hoden, as you know, Vice Canada has produced and released a documentary called This Is Dixon about the Dixon community here in Toronto. And here's what that sounded like. I spent my summers during high school here in West Toronto in this place called Dixon. So when I saw media reports with police saying that this is the breeding ground for a violent gang, I was surprised to say the least. It's a far cry from the community of families I'd known as a kid, a place where refugees fleeing Somalia's brutal civil war settled in the early 90s. 
residents here terrorized this morning as police stormed in. The police were after a gang that they said had been terrorizing the neighborhood for years. Um, we have 70% unemployment rate in this community. People get involved in selling drugs, and that's part of the reality that, that, that goes on. Is that Dixon? No. And actually, there's a movement going on called That Is Not Dixon. I don't know if you watched my debate, but my thing with Vice was that this documentary tells one story of a community and not in a factual manner. Um, I think what they've done is took a story that was one element, but didn't investigate all the angles of it. I mean, we don't even hear about a lot about Rob Ford, which brought a lot of attention to this community, which I find was ironic. Here's Rob Ford. He was basically smoking crack cocaine with people from this neighborhood who caught him on a video camera. And then this started this whole triangle of like what's happening with Project Traveler, looking for drugs, looking for guns. And many of the things in the documentary didn't explain what impact the Fords had on this neighborhood. And I think they just went in looking for young people who are vulnerable, who basically are unemployed, don't have jobs. If they have the name Dixon on their resume, can never get jobs in the area. Well, I think that Vice has a different perspective, and they they would say and have said that their piece was balanced. And, you know, it's in there. The piece is framed around this question, did the media get Dixon wrong? Does this gang even exist? And Vice Well, they also hired somebody who works in the community that is a trusted mentor to a lot of the young people in the video, young people in the situations. Whether they're 18, 19, I consider them young people that are vulnerable. When you don't have education, when you don't have a job, when you don't know where you're going in life and all you're basically exposed to is this type of lifestyle and the media comes to you and says, tell us your version, we'll give you $200 by a trusted community member. I think that was unethical journalism. You don't hire people that work with vulnerable populations to give you an angle of a story and access to poor people. That's like a doctor giving away their patient's information. And uh-huh. many of the young people in that video come from broken homes where, you know, there's mental health issues. There's obviously some trauma that happened from refugee camps that many of the immigrants came from. And you're basically a social worker giving up people's stories to yeah. a network that's looking for vulnerable stories and stigmatizing communities. And that's wrong. I see this from both sides because I think that, you know, a journalist responding to claims like that, they got it wrong, would say, wait a second, we mentioned the social conditions in the documentary. Wait a second, we are actually... uh, So how come we don't see the narrator in the video? He's a gentleman who's actually, I believe I found out that he's one of the founders of Vice. Because he's a billionaire in New York. (laughs) So why is a billionaire in New York telling us a story about Dixon? Come on. Keep your billionaire attitude out of Dixon, okay? Uh This is a poor community who deserves a better media reaction than what Rob Ford has given them and the Ford family in Etobicoke. And on top of that, if you're going to continue to stigmatize this community, at least give people in the media to give you stories from the community. Don't hire people that work with the community who are in trusted positions. I think you've got, especially when you're talking about a medium that's as evocative as television, you can say, oh, we have in the script all these social conditions are mentioned. We say that explicitly that... Uh, Great. It, if you're looking for violence, go to Wasaga Beach and look for the stabbings that happen every summer. Yeah. Don't go to Dixon looking for two murders per year and make it a, like seem like it's an epidemic in the community. These people are hardworking refugees who are just trying to survive. But they don't... But they say that in the documentary and they don't say it's an epidemic and they have these graphs that are there to illustrate how these murders are... Like they're making almost exactly the same points as you. But if I understand... But you're narrating the story from the... Okay, this is a problem I have... 
in journalism, you tell a story the way you want the audience to feel yeah. about it. So if you're telling a story saying that this is Dixon, it's a criminal place, it's full of gangs, is this that. So now you frame for the audience this narrative, correct? Well, no, because they don't say it's full of gangs. But here's where I see... Th- we are, And then on top of that, they can all come to a conclusion. Oh, we can't tell if there is a gang or if there is not a gang. So why do the documentary and ruin the image of an entire community? Well, there you go. Okay, so this is what it said at the end. Sru says, one thing is clear, there either is or isn't a gang. One thing is clear, you're a billionaire trying to ruin poor people's lives. Okay, stay out of Dixon and stay out of our communities. And we don't want your stories being told from the perspective of white, rich men. I think he's Pakistan. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's, again, rich people coming into Dixon telling poor people what they are. I think that the exploitative aspect of this is you can put as much mitigating language into the script as possible. But if if the way that the documentary appears is like hip-hop beats and gangland imagery and murder, 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 and then you've got some sort of like out. So, well, no, this was a journalistic investigation to see if it, we're, we're actually on the side of the community trying to find out if they are what – Everybody else in the media has said they are. But Vice trades in a certain kind of imagery. And this was an opportunity for them to show we're, we're here. We're in a community where bad well, things Well, they picked happen. the wrong community because we have a lot of activists in our community. Uh-huh. So they picked the wrong community. Somalis are very active on social media. They are organizing to get this documentary offline and out of TV. Because I know Vice now is probably going to want to put it on television next, right? To paint yeah. an image. This is not who Somali people are in Dixon. Yes, is there violence in some parts that happen? There's violence in every community, okay? There's violence in, uh, there's drugs, there's gangs, there's prostitution it happens in every community in canada that's what i felt watching i'm like well that happens in every community and like this isn't about gangs and violence I mean, like this is a a community where people are are poor and tell me how like rob ford and his association with this entire context was mentioned how long in the documentary i remember there being like those famous shots of rob ford outside that house which isn't even in it's in the it's in the neighborhood but not which the police by the way raided yeah but they never investigated as to why all this drug activity was happening there. Vice responded to these complaints. They invited you to a roundtable. They invited certain people to the roundtable. Uh-huh. And 90% of the panel, or everybody except me, was involved with Vice. Some of the community members that were complaining online have stated to me they were not directly invited. Majority of the people on the panel were actually either in the documentary or the fixer who worked in the documentary, the producer and an interviewer. So, so I was I was wow. the only person who was actually outside the whole picture, I oh, would say. So when they when they invited the community to have a roundtable to voice the concerns, the people that they invited were people that they had either paid or who were in the documentary. Correct. As, Huh. Yeah. And then I think what's happened is that like if you're going to have a dialogue with the community, have a dialogue with the people who are the academics who understand that when you do documentaries like this, you may not as Vice, who is billions of dollars rich or who has all these great journalists working in your downtown office, understand the impact that you have on future generations of young Somalis growing up in this country. Etobicoke is suffering from large unemployment. So these things are already going to continue and you stigmatize these young people. I mean, so what, five five gangsters in a neighborhood equals entire place being violent? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about stigma. I live in Woodbridge. There's a lot of gangsters in Woodbridge. Yeah, there's lots of of crime all around the GTA and Canada. There's lots of uh, housing developments and and, and apartment buildings that have problems. Dixon, Dixon, Dixon. It's now synonymous. And that that matters if you live there. They're like, oh, you're from Dixon? Now now it's got this... um, Credibility. 
Yeah. It's a gang place. So when you say you don't just come into a community, at, like that's what we do all the time as journalists. So how should this story, well, I don't even know what this story well, is. I think what journalism is, is changing now. I think with journalism, it's going to have to come a lot of responsibility. You know, in the, in the 90s, there was Jerry Springer and Oprah, right? And Oprah and Jerry Springer used to have different kind of audiences. Jerry Springer took advantage of certain communities, told terrible stories. Well, news has become like that now. And we need to be careful because we're treading a very thin line where we're shaping human stories and lives and in Canada we were good at escaping that for a long time but because of the US culture of that you know reporting on the poor of society but we should report on that no you can report on it but do it from a perspective of not stigmatizing people. When I do a story on Wasaga Beach and there's kids that are smoking weed in the summer who's stabbing each other does anybody say white people are all bad? But if you read all the comments on that documentary in Dixon, they're all saying Somali people are terrible human beings or this and that. Like, so it's, you stigmatize an entire culture yeah. when you do stories like that. When we are not responsible with the way we present narratives, it does more damage than good. And Canada was great at escaping that for a long time, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Vice wants to be in this market. They want to dominate Canada, tell stories. That's what's happening. Ratings, ratings, ratings. I would like to duly note something that popped up. Canada AM was canceled. Thank you know God. <laughs> Let's celebrate, guys, okay? That was like the worst morning show. Let's keep it real. <laughs> old, non, I would say, important in terms of topics, same old story. The audience has changed in Canada. How dare you? It's a 43-year-old <laughs> institution. I haven't watched Canada AM. I think I catch it like, in a hotel room. If like, you three don't minutes, change, you year. disappear. So they've they've taken your advice. That's done. They gave their staff a day's notice. Very classy. And now it's coming that back. That was very unclassy. <laughs> they are rebranding. Forget that fusty old Canada AM. It's now called Your Morning. Wow. I love it. <laughs> well, we got to move into the new century. It's 2016. And therefore, every morning, Ben Mulrooney. Hmm. I, I can't think of a better response than that. <laughs> Hoden, what did you duly note this week? I duly noted this week that there was a gentleman who was charged with basically stabbing two Canadian soldiers with a knife um, recently, and he's been noted to be unfit to stand trial. But last minute, the RCMP laid terrorism charges, which I thought was very strange because here's a person who's already unfit to stand trial, was known to have some kind of a psychotic disorder, and all because he screamed, God made me do this. Mm -hmm. We've laid terrorism charges. The RCMP didn't even have what they call a disclosure to say what the reasons they laid those charges. So I'm wondering, like, why doesn't the media question more of this stuff? Do well, we what's, just what's are the we just, accused's name? Yes, Ayanle Ali Hassan. I think we have our answer right there. Oh, there it goes. Because He's of course, you know, <laughs> in the Degrude case uh, where this uh, police officer's son killed a bunch of people, stabbed them, he was found not criminally responsible because of mental illness. And I questioned at the time, how often do we see black or Muslim or black Muslim people able to kind of evade responsibility through this not criminally responsible? How often does mental illness present itself as a valid defense? And here we have a case where that actually stood up. Yes, not criminally responsible because of mental health issues. And then, oh, but terrorism charges. Yeah. And last minute. 
And no one was covering it. It's like no big deal. I, th- I think you're right that questions need to be asked about the media. I also just have questions about the criminal justice system when it comes to invoking a mental health defense. What do the stats say? Is that a defense that is more available to people who are not Muslim or black? Absolutely. I mean, you'll see it in the United States. It's the number one thing that people always say is if a young Caucasian commits a crime, he's always seen as unfit. If you see somebody who has a Muslim name or is black, they it's automatically never that. So yeah. Ter- and terrorism. Is yeah, often it's either terrorism. Yeah. It's uh, terrorism or gangs. If gangs. It's, yeah. Exactly. So I think the narrative is always being shaped and we have to be careful as media to continue really dissecting. And I hope that future journalists really start thinking about these things, because what media is doing now is stigmatizing communities, labeling. And now the police are doing the same thing, just laying terrorism charges without expl- no explanation yeah. on a man who's mentally ill. Come on. Duly noted. Hoden, China's foreign minister, Wang Yi, was in Canada last week, and things got a little bit tense when the next voice you hear, Amanda Connolly, reporter for iPolitics, posed the following question to the Chinese foreign minister. There are no shortage of concerns about China's treatment of human rights advocates, such as the Hong Kong booksellers and its detention of the Garrets, uh, not to mention the destabilizing effects of its territorial ambitions in the South China Sea. Given these concerns, why is Canada pursuing closer ties with China How do you plan to use that relationship to improve human rights and security in the region? And did you specifically raise the case of the Garrett's during your discussions with the foreign minister today? Hold on, I'm going to translate for you. (laughs) I don't know. I can't actually translate, but it has been translated. This is what Chinese foreign minister Wang Yi said to iPolitics reporter Amanda Connolly. Your question is full of prejudice against China and arrogance. I don't know where that comes from. This is totally unacceptable. Other people don't know better than the Chinese people about the human rights condition in China. And it's the Chinese people who are in the best situation to have a say about China's human rights situation. So I'd like to suggest to you, please don't ask questions in such an irresponsible manner. So while the Chinese foreign minister was telling the press not to ask questions and that Chinese people can look after their own human rights situation, don't need the press to ask such arrogant questions, Stefan Dion stood by and said... Uh, nothing. He said nothing. He just gawked Of course, on. politicians stick together always. You didn't know that? I don't know if it's a question <laughs> of sticking together or, or just like the most humiliating display of deference to China that I could possibly imagine. Dion later issued a statement saying, oh, well, she doesn't need me to come rushing to her rescue. She's got a thick skin. I think that it would have absolutely been appropriate for Dion to say, I'm sorry, distinguished foreign minister, but you are in Canada and we have a free press here and they can ask questions and you don't have to answer them, but we, but they have every right to ask you those well, questions. Well, you can see even in when he was speaking, he spoke the answer in Chinese, obviously, but you can see how passionate he was in telling this young woman what she was doing was incorrect. And I think good for her that she's brave to ask those hard questions. But we also have to look at like when people travel, like let's say somebody goes to China for a press conference, do the Chinese people ask him about how they treat indigenous people in Canada. You know what? I think there actually was an analogous case when a foreign reporter asked Harper a question that was sort of like off of the message points, off of the uh, approved questions. And someone's going to have to write in to tell me what happened because I don't have it at my fingertips. But I think that would be great. I think it's actually really helpful when politicians or elected officials are abroad because questions that don't get asked at home can be asked abroad. But this, it kind of points at a fault line between 
the way that we want to kind of manage our relationship with uh, a nation like China. And you're absolutely right. It's not about us taking the moral high ground and saying that uh, this this country's got a terrible human's track record and, and we're, we're spotless. The, the thing that I think a lot of reporters, is great that we have, obviously, press freedom. But I think these press conferences have become more PR events for the government rather than actual questions that are being asked that are important. And this is probably why there was no comment from our own foreign minister, because this is public relations events. It's like, hey, the guy comes. We're just going to ask nice, friendly questions. But when you start asking the hard questions and actually trying to understand why Canada is supporting such a nation that goes against a lot of values that we have Mm -hmm. and our own minister doesn't say anything, that shows you that, you know, press don't really have freedom. We can't ask the hard questions. Well, the the Trudeau government eventually did respond after... The Chinese minister had gone home. Exactly. <laughs> well, somebody's visiting your home. They're a guest. You're supposed to be nice and polite to your guests, okay? You're not supposed to ask them tough questions. Justin Ling, uh, reporter for Vice, was just tweeting about how you know that your ATIP request, your access to information request, regards Canada's relations with China when it comes back fully redacted, when the redactions are almost complete, that there are some serious questions about the relationship between these nations. And uh, hats off to Amanda Connolly at iPolitics. Absolutely. For, you know, the, the, Brave. Who Love el- it. Who else is going to actually get in there? Forget about the PR event, guys. Just ask the real questions and let's get dialogue. You know, and China sent an editorial to the Globe and Mail in the wake of this, but we still don't have answers to those questions. Hoda, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com, and we're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Where can people find you, Hoden? They can find me on Twitter where I live, Hoden TV. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. The next episode of CanadaLand will be up on Monday. The next episode of CanadaLand Commons will be up on Tuesday. The show is provided free of charge to community and campus radio stations across the country and syndication is handled by Russell Gragg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.